Welcome to the Traveling On Radio Show, your premier source for travel news and information, featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, the Traveling On Radio Show. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show, the show that celebrates the responsible traveler. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, broadcasting from our home studios outside of uh, Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Indeed, and on today's show, it's off to Louisiana's North Country to experience a bit of the history, culture, and outdoors that makes this a unique destination. Our first stop takes us to historic Minden, Louisiana, in Webster Parish, home to 200 historic sites, to the Dorcheat Museum for a history lesson on this part of North Louisiana. Next, the pride of Webster Parish, champion pro bass angler Homer Humphreys, takes us on a tour of his favorite fishing hole, Lake Bistino and shares his passion for his hometown, life, and fishing. And then we'll go from Homer Humphreys to Homer, Louisiana, to visit the Ford Museum, a treasure trove dedicated to preserving the history and culture of the North Louisiana Hill Country. And remember, we welcome your comments and questions at any time. You can email us at comments at travelinradio.com. And, of course, before we begin, I'd like to invite you uh, and remind you that uh, we offer weekly travel deals and uh, great newsletter, great information on our newsletters and um, all of our social networks you can sign up for at our website at travelnradio.com. And there's links on the homepage. And, uh, you know, dear, I, uh, I love Homer Humphreys. I love the museum. And, but Homer, uh, was it was a, a wonderful that was just a great day that we spent with him and I'm looking forward to that segment but first um, we visited uh, John Egan of the Dorchette Museum and you know sometimes on our travels and it's really our travel preference we get to visit some of the off the beaten path places that take one back to yesteryear and our trip to North Louisiana ju- did just that. We found ourselves in Webster Parish, just a stone's throw from Shreveport, Louisiana, one of our other favorite places, mm-hmm. in its historic parish seat, Minden. Not only did we experience our fair share of down-home cooking, but we, we ate a lot of catfish, didn't we? <laughs> a ton of catfish, and boy, was it good. Uh, and some alligator, I believe, too. But we, we, we got a rich historical and cultural lesson while in Minden on our visit to the Dorchit Museum, a community museum where the past comes to life as local historian Don Egan shares. Overton was established uh, in the 1820s. The mill was set up in 1822 and then moved forward. Unfortunately, obviously we have a tombstone here. There was a little problem. If you live near streams in Louisiana, you die from yellow fever. And so Overton is eventually wiped out by yellow fever, but not before it becomes a major port on the bow, cotton coming out of this area and goods being brought for, and uh, as such, it's kind of the roots of what became Minden. Minden's going to follow about 13 years later, but Overton was our parent community, and it did. Even though the town died away, the river trade continued into the 1880s, actually. Minden at one point had three landings. Overton was called Minden Lower Landing, alternatively. And we had steamboat traffic on the river here till uh, the late 1890s. This is honor that legacy. Now, again, in truth, uh, we didn't have big cotton plantations here. That's always a misconception. We were not 
not suited to the Delta area, but we did have quite a bit of cotton production and had a lot of folks that became very wealthy families off of that, off of the cotton. And so it's kind of emphasizing that was the major export that came from here. Uh, Overton, as I said, sets the route. It's tied to the mile. Um, the next precursor to Minden, I guess you can say, is commemorated here. Uh, this is a reconstruction of a cabin like what would have been present at what was called the Germantown Colony. Uh, it was a settlement about seven or eight miles north of Minden by some uh, German religious utopians who came to this country because their leader, uh, to use the technical term, sorry to offend our ancestors, a nutcase, had been convinced that uh, he was told by the Lord to go to the latitude of Jerusalem and set up a colony to wait for the Lord to return. The religious values kind of wandered away, perhaps, but they produced in common. Uh, unmarried men lived in barracks. They had a community store where they traded equal partner, fully a communal society, and operated for 35 years. It's one of the kind of lost stories to me because it lasted as long as some other better-known communities, New Harmony. In fact, they came out of the New Harmony colony in Indiana, ties to that. Only broke up out of the Civil War. Two things from the Civil War, the results of uh, infighting over her to slaves, Slavery was right, and then the economy after the war, it got so, and the economy here collapsed. But uh, we actually have a separate Germantown Colony Museum that's under control of the state. But this is a reconstruction of what the cabin would have looked like. The lumber that built the cabin is uh, original to an 1850s house, not originally at the colony. But it gives you an idea of uh, you know what life would have been like. And the German lifestyle, those theirs would be very much similar to what the European, the other Europeans were living at that point. Uh, I attribute the, enough documentation that Germantown is the direct cause of Minden being settled because when these folks came through being led by their beloved nutcase, I shouldn't say that again, uh, they wore green, matching bright green outfits, the men. And they came through Louisville, Kentucky, coming down the Ohio, and got a great amount of attention. And it just seems kind of unique to me that six months after they came through Louisville and settled here, a German-American who was doing business in Louisville shows up and founds Minden between them and the bow. Louisville's a very German town. Yeah. So I'm thinking there was a connection there. But it, they are founded about a year before Minden is established. In he, heard 18, the, he heard the story and came on down. I think you saw a willing market. Uh, he was a man who went around trying to set up county seats. He'd set one up in Indiana. Came here and tried to set one up. Never worked while he was alive. Went to California in the gold rush and set up two more towns. So he was a businessman looking for opportunities. His name is Charles Veter, and he did found Minden. Because that's the big battle of Reconstruction. I tell my history classes there are no heroes out of Reconstruction. If you're looking for heroes on either side, they're not there. Uh, we suffered some pretty rocky times, uh, as most of the South did. The Bull's Head uh, is a unique story to kind of give you an example. Uh, after the end of occupation by the Union forces in 1865, we went on the usual course that Louisiana followed, which is going back and forth, Democrats and Republicans, the radical Republicans and the Democrats in control. In 1872, Menden was to elect a mayor, and uh, the Democratic candidate died a week before the election. And rather than cast their ballots for the Republican carpetbagger, the voters of Menden wrote in the name of Chaff's Bull as a write-in candidate. <laughs> And technically, he carried the most ballots that day. Uh, obviously, the, the, the carpetbagger governor put in the carpetbagger candidate for mayor. Uh, that's more humorous side. Of course, everything wasn't humorous. 
uh, I think one of the most interesting stories deals with the uh, those occupation troops. I mentioned those because uh, you may not be aware of the fact they're kind of shown in this picture in the South uh, for two reasons. Number one, because black troops had nothing to go back to for the most part. They had been slaves, a lot of them. And also because of a little bit of the, I guess, retribution issue. The southern cities were occupied for the most part by black troops. And so Mendham was occupied by the six, what we we'll call the 61st United States Colored Troops. Some of them stayed when their enlistment ran out in December 1865. One of those black soldiers ended up being two terms on the Minden City Council during the 1870s. So uh, we had our problems. It was a time of transition, and that's what we're basically trying to remember here. This is uh, our famous people movie star section, I guess, for lack of a better term to call it. Some of you are probably aware that after Katrina, uh, let me do the our famous people's case first. Our basic, if you look at the heritage, as you can tell, music's a very strong part of our history. Uh, we have in the upper left-hand corner Alan Bean, who lived in as a small child, that was man on the moon. We have a, a Miss USA that was here and some actresses. But if you'll see, Trace Adkins, James Burton, uh, the Cox family, Percy Mayfield, who was called Port Lord of the Blues, wrote a lot of Ray Charles' work. Uh, you can kind of see we're kind of across, across the board. We have blues, rhythm and blues, bluegrass, traditional country, all those things. And those are some of the natives of Webster Parish that have achieved in uh, mainly in entertainment, but we have some in other areas. We have one governor. He's pictures around here someplace, but uh, we'll get to him in a minute. But this is what's kind of focusing in that cabinet. Then we move over to one of the later developments. After Katrina, you may be aware that through tax incentives and because of what had gone on in New Orleans, the movie industry looked to North Louisiana. And uh, some people get amazed when they see this. This little slide was at the point it was made. All of those films had large portions of them, in some cases almost all of those, filmed to some degree in Midland and Webster Parish. Been more since then. So this is kind of our tribute to uh, what do they call Hollywood North? New Orleans, you know, whatever we're calling it, in North Louisiana. And we set that with uh, the Rex Theater, which was the downtown theater in Menon that everybody who grew up here remembers going to. And that's our focus here, is the, the history of entertainment constructively new. Uh, for a whole generation of Menon, there is a highlight here. If you're aware of Elvis Presley's history, uh, he got his start at the Louisiana Hayride. Um, so... Had contacts around the area, and in October 1955, Elvis was uh, booked to play at the Joy Drive-In Theater in Minden, which is also gone now, too. And so for one night, Elvis came to Minden, and uh, this commemorates that circumstances. There are some stories I've been trying to get out exactly even on the nights on that. Apparently, Elvis took a liking to somebody's girlfriend, and the other two members of the, the Blue Mountain Boys kind of pulled back and helped Elvis get the girl. But anyway, that was our, our brush with Elvis. So this kind of summarizes... As best we can right now, the history of sports in Mendham, covering all different areas. Uh, we have the fact that Mendham, originally the high school mascot were the Greenbacks, and we got a new coach in the middle 1930s that was a huge fan of uh, Harry Gilmer and the Alabama Crimson Tide, and so we changed, had the school change its colors to red and white, and the team named the Crimson Tide. So they've been that name now for 75 years. Won several state championships, had some NFL players. Uh, Charlie Hennigan at one time held the record for pass receptions in a season, in a season in the AFL, uh, autographed football from the Houston Oilers. We actually had two players on the Oilers at one time. We had our share of football players. 
sports is a big part of our history. Uh, in honor of the northern part of our parish, I need to point out that we have a Heisman Trophy winner from the town on the northern end of our parish, Spring Hill, John David Crow, uh, 1957 for Texas A&M. Uh, this section is part of what used to be the Coca-Cola Museum. Uh, one family in Minden has had the Coca-Cola bottling plant for over 100 years now in Minden, and their contributions go so far beyond Coke that it would be a shame not to, to list them because the people that are just on the picture here, Larry and Gladys Hunter, Larry Hunter had an interest in helping kids and in baseball, and literally for the better part of 20 years, they furnished a recreation program for the city of Minden. Swimming pool, ball fields, paid for everything for kids to be able to enjoy sports. And uh, so we tribute Coke. Money came from Coke that helped pay for it. So this section is dedicated to that. And here are various pictures of the Hunter memorabilia. And over the wall here, more of the history. One year, uh, maybe one of the most unique parts of our story is the single year, 1933. Uh, 1933, Minden had a year that uh, I think we should be very proud not many towns would have survived. Uh, in February of 1933, there was a fire that burned uh, a substantial part of the main business, business block in town. Uh, in April, the largest bank in town failed. And then two weeks later, on May 1st, there was a tornado that uh, we will never know exactly how many folks were killed from the tornado. Uh, the estimates at the time... Put it from two to three hundred. The official death count was left at twenty-eight, but uh, the problem was that the black community of Menden was largely destroyed, and they, for the most part, did not report their deaths. They just went and buried their family. So we'll never know. The good part about it is, with all the problems, uh, we bounced back. The ammunition plant helped, and the other things helped. But I do, I'm not one to exaggerate, but I don't think a lot of towns in America would have survived those three blows in that shorter period of time, and we did, so we're proud of, of achievement, and that's what this is to commemorate, the horrible things, but we did get past that. When we come back, Minden native and pro-bass angler Homer Humphreys takes us for a ride on his boat as we tour one of the best fishing spots in North Louisiana, as we keep traveling on. Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip or looking for a weekend getaway, Travelinon.com has the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. The traveler's best resource. It's your home, it's your dream. Great on testing, keep it healthy and clean. Make it green, green, green. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. This is the Travelin' On Radio Show, bringing you a world of travel news and information. Once again, let's join your hosts, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. When you think of good, fun-loving people, pro-bass angler Homer Humphreys is certainly one of them. Over 36 years as a professional fisherman, Homer is living the American dream. We spent some time with Homer 
cruising Lake Bistanaw in North Louisiana on his boat, sharing life, fishing, and some fun stories in this conversation. The neat part about this creek, it never has a bunch of erosion. Why? Nobody knows. But, you know, a river system will erode a bunch, but the creek don't. interesting stuff is like uh, you, heard, you heard of Peggy's Island down here. Well, it was people for years dug up around Peggy's Island when the water would go down looking for gold. It was some bandits robbed a bank or something. Or they got a bunch of gold. Well, Peggy and her old man killed them, and they took the gold. And uh, they died, and they thought everybody thought the gold was there. And today, when they pull the water down, they still got sinkholes running big old cypress trees where they where they look. So people still think that gold is still out here, huh? Yeah. They don't dig like they used to, <laughs> but you know. And when it floods, it gets in a lot of these things right here. Now, how how did you break into the world of professional sport fishing? I started. I was a market manager for Safeway, and I I was number one gross profit maker for 10, 11 years. And they pretty much let me do what I wanted to do okay. out of the whole division. And I started fishing local terms. I won everything. Then I went to a couple, three state different tournaments, win them. I was winning everything. And two years before I quit, I won like 60000 one year plus working. The next year that I decided I was going to just retire, I won like 70000 Then I got on a professional tour, and I've been on it for 38 years. Wow. And no looking back. No looking back. Back then, I and this, I'm serious, quit a $15.84 hour job with all benefits, options, uh, stock options, all that stuff. And went fishing. <laughs> my daddy and them said, You're stupid. <laughs> he told me I just like my mama because they was divorced, you know. These little sloughs like this right here catch a lot of fish in those. Now, where did your love of fishing come from? Was it was it from your dad? No, my, uh, my, uh, just a friend, an old fellow I call him Uncle Jim. He started picking me up and carrying me bass fishing. And my first fish I ever caught on old Devil's Horse with solid black with white ribs on it, eight and three quarter pound. I was eating a bologna sandwich, the wind was blowing. And I threw that thing out there and I said, Whoa, Uncle Jim, that's what I called him. I said, Man, that sounded like a big old fish. I said, yeah, know where, where my bait was. About that time, that old rod went to doing that. <laughs> Eight and three-quarter pound. But uh, it's the fishing here is fabulous. Crappie fishing is probably one of the best crappie lakes uh, in the wintertime. It's is the number one around here. And they working hard to get that Salvania out of here now. Matter of fact, this is a solve a prototype lake of them trying to get it out. Mm-hmm. And they fit to start falling the water six inches a day. Started that yesterday. So that messed the fishing up here, and that's where I told them they y'all just need to go to my pond. Yeah. I 
Is that a way you can catch them, snatch them, throw them back? See right here, if we was bass fishing today and guiding, uh, thank goodness we're not. But uh, we we would never fish the front side. We fish the back side of all these trees and the mouth of these sloughs because that's where they're set up at because there's a little eddy there. The lake is 60 years old and keeps right on ticking. It's amazing. It's times you can, within two miles, you can count over 100 boats out here property fishing. My grandma raised me and she asked me, what are you doing with my wife? I used to use, we couldn't afford to buy wax. We used to use candles and we put a hole, take an ice pick and put a hole through it and finally get that line through it. Then mom would go to light that candle and have that hole done cut her wick or she raised hell. What was it that first attracted you to fishing? Competition. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I love, I've always been real athletic and and uh, it was just, just competition. Now this here is Ralph, what they call Ralph Slough. Be a big sandbar over here on the right, but this is Raft Slough, and it's not a man's name. They used to raft logs down this thing, okay. and instead of going all the way around here to the right, they cut off here to the left, and that's just a slough there. And uh, see, like that little island right there, how all that stuff is formed. The deep side of this is right through there, right through that opening right there. But the uh, way this thing was formed was, uh, you know, the islands and things. When the water's down, those cypress balls germinating. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, well, well, they come up to these islands and thickets. But it don't get no better. You can kid the canoe rides on this thing. Uh, it's, it's awesome, the history of it. There's, there's a hole right here. 20 foot deep it went down mm. there. I got a deal on here. That shows you everything on us. When uh, you're looking for spots to to fish and you've got all of this technology here and so forth, what are you what are you looking for? What are some of the top things that say this is this is where I'm going to stop and I'm going to cast my lure? Technology won't tell me nothing on this body of water. Okay. Other than just how deep it is. Here you want little the outside bends. You want the mouth of those like Ralph Slough and that other slough I showed you. Mm-hmm. You want places like that. Uh, the fish, all the bait fishing stuff, it's gonna try to go this way, but the ones that can't hold out, they're gonna have to just wash with the current mm-hmm. around this way. And those fish are not going to be here, not going to be here, not going to be here. They're going to be in three spots here, there, there, or there. Hmm. If I was coming through here fishing, that's the only three spots I'd fish right there. I'd crank up, I'd go on. Hmm. And we're dealing with current now. Though. And uh, when uh, there is no current, the sloughs are the better. The creek, you know, the sloughs... We call them sloughs here because none of them's uh, real deep. Okay. There's some old trees here. 
hear that crow? Huh? You hear that crow? <laughs> and you know, you think about old Daniel Boone and all of them and talking about, hey, going out and you get these feelings. Well, all it is your sixth sense. The more you exercise that, the better you are. Mm-hmm. See, like that little cut right there? That'd be good. Mm-hmm. A good ambush point. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, the sixth sense tells you something. Well, something ain't right. Something's slipping up on me. And you do it. Mm-hmm. You see how this is right here? That's a mouth of a slough. The fish would be right there in the mouth of it. You're not going to see them now because the cool front come in, oh. high water, they've gone to the, towards the back. Oh, okay. There's no way. When a front comes through, like we've had set on top of, you see very few turtles, very, very few. And <laughs> a barrel, yes. A blue barrel, in. Okay. Very rare. That's the first one I'm, we've seen. I'm, happen, I'm happening to develop my sixth sense for blue barrel. Go, boy, go. <laughs> you bad, dog. I still love you. I carry you back. I got a good friend from uh, Japan named Ian. Okay. He's down there in Florida. Game board come up on him and said, hey, we're going to fish him. We had the bear laying there. And old boy, old man waited till he got out next morning. And he said, we're going to write you a ticket for night hunting. What do you mean night hunting? He's said, well, bear's got two holes in his hand. He said, you didn't see him when you spotlighted that bear? He put both hands over his eyes like this. He shot him between the eyes. <laughs> Quail hunting out there in Texas. Went out there one time. I come back home and they told me, Well, did you kill any homer? I said, I killed 13 with one shot. He said, You must have shot them on the ground. I said, Can they fly? I didn't know they could fly. <laughs> appreciate this. You can tell this in Preacher. Jack and John. Two old, old fellers sitting out on the porch one morning drinking coffee. Old Jack said, John, I wonder if they got baseball on him. They love baseball. He's one. Jack, I don't know. I ain't ever talked to nobody been to heaven and come back. He said, well, let's make a pact right now that we, one of us comes back, everybody dies first. Sure enough, they made a pact. Two months later, old Jack died of a heart attack. John sitting out there a few weeks later, drinking coffee and reminiscing about old Jack. He said, John, John, Jack, is that you? You scared me. He said, yeah, it's me, John. He said, I got some good news and bad news. Now, it's another slew going off right here. Mm-hmm. And another stem of it goes up this way. Makes a flat. And, uh, he said, I got some bad news and I got some good news. Really? Well, what is it? He said, they do have baseball in heaven. Well, that's great. What can be bad news from heaven? He said, you up to pitch next Saturday. <laughs> We're going to continue our conversation with pro bass angler Homer Humphreys when we come back. This is the Traveling On Radio Show.
Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? Travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip or looking for a weekend getaway, travelinon.com has the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to travelinon.com. That's travelin-on.com. The traveler's best resource. Health officials are concerned about a new influenza virus of swine origin that's spreading from person to person. Officials are acting to combat this threat, but the outbreak could grow. Prepare now. Check with local leaders, schools, employers, and other community groups about their plans regarding an outbreak in your community. It's important for everyone to know what to do about swine flu. For details, visit www.cdc.gov slash swine flu or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from HHS. This is the Travelin' On Radio Show, bringing you a world of travel news and information. Once again, let's join your hosts, Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Let's continue our spirited conversation with Bass Pro Angler Homer Humphreys. See, we're getting to the mouth of Lake Bistano now. You're starting to see way back in through here, way back in here. They used to have this, they called that the Indian Mounds over in there, because it was actually Indians was over in there. And they got another place up here, it was Salt, salt Works Slough. Hmm. They actually used to come and and get the salt off the top of the dirt for years and years. Mm-hmm. But now it grows up there because there's no salt. What do you do in between those moments when you're waiting for that fish to bite? How do you stay engaged? What are you thinking about? It's a it's a mental deal that you had to stay locked in. Uh, but sure, as I go to talking to you, I'm gonna miss a, a two or three pounder. That could be a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So you got to stay focused, and it's hard. But the difference between us, the professional and the novice fisherman, when we catch one fish, we won't know why he was there, why he bit. And what time of day, we want to know everything about that fish because that leads us to the next fish. Hmm. But it's a, you, it's a deal where you just have to stay locked in. Uh, you can't get bored. you got to be patient. Fish for five bites and big bites. I really have five good bites all day long, and I had 35 bites and, and you know, not have no big ones. They crappie fish in a lot of these treetops like this. You see all this clutter right here? That's shad. They're solid in here. Unreal. Right here is where another slough takes off. You see how the trees are lining right here? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden you got that opening right there. That's the deeper part of the slough. That's probably uh, 10 foot up through there. See how the trees separate and they form a line right there and it's uh, it's all about learning to read timber here's another slough up here to our left you can see how the trees opening up and how there's not any out in the middle of that thing this thing goes on forever doesn't it oh yeah if you was running wide open it'd take an hour to get to the other end of it and that's 72 mile line The prosecutor has just passed us. Yeah, the prosecutor. <laughs> he thinks he's a prosecutor. 
He's 72 years old and he still guides for me. I told him a few years ago, I said, you need to hang it. He used to do construction, build houses and stuff. And I said, uh, you need to hang that thing up and start guiding for me. I'm on, I'm on the water 265 to 285 days a year. I've been on water since, I've been on water four days, five, four, four, five days since last Friday. The only reason I moved some of my stuff is because the rain's supposed to get out of here. It's supposed to get out of here tomorrow. That old foot feed, old foot pedal, you know. <laughs> Oh, that's a big slough out there. Duck hunting down here is great. That's the duck blind. That's a duck blind right there. You see that stripping off of that cypress tree right there? Mm-hmm. That's a uh, uh, beaver does that. Okay. Or nutrient. They'll strip it off there and eat it. You go up the other way, you got a lot of big sandbars and stuff. That old bird over in yonder, there it's crawfish and stuff. Okay. See over yonder? And when them birds are feeding, they down on the ground. But when they're not feeding, they'll be up about halfway of that tree or a fourth of the way of that tree. Thought I'd make do what I do and make a living out of it. Yeah. When y'all see the place, the fishing fishing industry has paid for the whole thing. If you watch them trees right here, see how kind of patterns going along here? Now watch this. You're going to see the opening go through right there. That's the opening right there. And that water is actually 10 foot on that on them weeds. Now, uh, you are you are out here on the water 260 some days a year five times a week. Is uh, that how you stay sharp and stay in the game and keep uh, keep uh, your focus? That that's the way. I, you, that is the only way. You know, put it this way: if I was going to if I was going to uh, a million dollar classic next week, I just soon to book myself every day up till that day because I'm fine tuned. Mm-hmm. I'm focused. I know what's going on. And these little green trout are doing the same thing. They, you don't fish for them. Very little difference from here to Washington. They, they ambush things. Yeah. Have you got a picture in of the bird? I have. Good. Matter of fact, uh, Hallmark, Hallmark cards. I got a lady down here about every two, three years in the fall, and she wants to come out with me, and I care. She tells me what she's looking for, and I cheer her to where I think she's wanting to go. Uh-huh. And you'll be idling along here like this, and she'll say, pull over here. I go to pull over there, easing up there. she stop, stop, there it is, there it is. Well, I'm looking for something, you know. That camera lens has got a whole different story. I cannot see it. She cannot see it. But she said when I'm looking through the camera lens, it's a whole different story. 
And a lot of times it may just be a fine mist of fog with a ball of fog going So some of the some of the stuff y'all have seen on Hallmark's cards before has actually come off of Lake Bistano. When I get bored, I talk to crows. Sound <laughs> <laughs> like a peacock. Yeah. That's like if cypress knees there. That roof system is all off that tree. All those cypress trees belong to that one big tree. People used to take and cut those roots, you know, the knees, uh-huh. and make lamps out of them. Wow. They stopped them. Blue heron. Best fisherman around. You can't already beat live bait. If I'm guiding, I'm going to have some live bait. Uh, I find that um, over the years, we can buy small, medium, and large minnows. I carry a mixed bag of them. So the front comes through like a cold front in the wintertime. It comes through, we'll, we'll use small ones. But just everyday weather, medium, sometimes large. Each lake has got its own preference. You go to the river, over Red River, they want the large stuff. Over here, they want small or medium. See like that little top right there? Places like that. Blue and white jig is a good color down here. Now, Homer, do uh, you have a team with you, just like NASCAR drivers, uh, you know, you know that uh, help you from from your boat to the travel to all of that stuff? How does that how does that work for you? We tow our own boats. I've got a man that drives them for me every now and then when I'm booked and stuff, and I'll fly in when I have to. He'll take my truck and boat, and uh, then we've got uh, the. Uh, Mercury, Basscat, they got trucks that'll be there to make sure they keep us on the water, anything goes wrong. You've got uh, got electronics people, we carry backup, somebody there to put that in. So it's, uh, it's we got uh, factory support stuff. Okay. That current wriggling, wiggling that stick. And here's the other end of Raft Slew here. That tree has been at that angle probably 20, 30 years. Wow. This is where the fish would be other than the mouth right here because it's slack water here. You heard me when I changed that RPM. All animals spook on RPM. Fish spook on RPMs. Better to leave the trolling motor on to do that. You don't spook. Now, is uh, Louisiana considered this, the center of the sport fishing uh industry and all of that or is it yeah, sports uh, fishing paradise okay sportsman's paradise what they call it that's right just as it is on the license plate yeah right here from right here there is probably 10 or 15 lakes we could be in mm-hmm. bisno is 17,500 acres mm-hmm. and uh you can go out there and it'd be 300 boats out there mm-hmm. and a lot of times you won't ever see one of them because mm-hmm. they blend in with a cypress tree because the further down you go, the wider open it gets. Mm-hmm. The good Lord shares this with you. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's a bonus. It's it's just great to be out here. But if you catch a fish, it's a bonus. Mm-hmm. It's no phone, no nothing going on. Yeah. All them leaves fall off, and they come out here in the water. Mm-hmm. Fisherman's nightmare. You can come out here and pull right up there on that bank. Be your campfire and spend the night peaceful. Marie Labola gets you for, you know. <laughs> About how many tournaments a year do you participate in? Uh, 17 to 21. Okay. That's, uh, I've been here so long, 
I can fit six national events, so I'm going to thoroughly enjoy that. Okay. And I make my same money. Okay. Do you enjoy other uh, outdoor passions like hunting? You know, I used to hunt all the time, but I fish so much now, I just had to stop. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, when I got out of, everybody says, when you going to retire, you know, retirement to me is picking and choosing what you want to do every day. Mm-hmm. I pick and choose. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, I told my daddy one time, I said, I'm either going to be a professional fisherman or a professional hunter. I had an uncle that was a professional hunter up in Colorado, and then he'd go to New Mexico and all that stuff. And he uh, had a, uh, what do they call them, outfitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, he done, he made the killing. And uh, that's what I wanted to do. But I, I got into it not realizing I was actually going to do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, everything just sort of fell in line. Mm-hmm. Do what I do for a living. People say, how'd you get started? And like, you know, I told you earlier, but you got to have the intestinal fortitude to quit your job. Right. you got to have a lot of confidence in yourself. Right. And your family's got to have a lot. Yeah. Because we had two kids and her. And uh, I said, whoo, they got to go. <laughs> they got to go to college. You know, it cost about $290,000 now to get one out of high school. Yeah, so uh, you had to have a lot of faith. I mean, yes. not just uh, faith in yourself, but just faith. That uh, this was uh, this was the path that the good Lord intended yeah. for you. Yeah, you got to have that. Plus, you know, you always got something you can fall back on. Mm-hmm. Professional meat cutter is uh, you got butchers and you got meat cutter, and uh, you know, you it's just like Obama. I can sit there and I can sit there and talk uh, Chateaubriand, or I can talk <laughs> neck bone. You know, it don't make me no difference. Exactly. I've had the good Lord gifted me with that. Yeah. Um, one of the wildest things I ever done fishing was the AC Delco flew me to Trump Plaza to do a, do seminars for all the distributors. Had myself and Tina Turner. I get in there on plane about eleven o'clock at night, which is nothing to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm up in my room, and I, they sent a limo and everything to carry me to Trump Plaza. And I'm up in the room. I said, "Whoo, hamburger, forty-five dollars." Well, it don't matter. I'm on expense account. I said, Jesus, this country boy done went to the city. <laughs> so about that time, phone rings. It was Donald Donald Trump. Uh-huh. He said, Homer, have you eaten supper yet, Eat dinner yet? I said, no, sir. I'm sitting there thinking about ordering something. He said, well, Tina just got in. Won't you come? I'm going to send someone up there and, and get you mm-hmm. and come on down mm-hmm. and eat with us. All right. I ain't never saw neither one of them before in my life, you know. <laughs> Bezos totally amazed at what I'd done for a living as I was what they were. Yeah. And we had uh, one heck of a conversation. I can imagine. Here I am, Tina Turner singing a song in that distributor deal. But that's some, you know, real unique things. Mm-hmm. Met Donald Trump. I fished with George Bush, mm-hmm. you know. This fished for the first lady to ever fish Bassmasters, Vogel Reed. It's a lot of unique things. The sad part is I forgot more than over the years. Yeah. Now you talked about using frogs and chicken for bait. What's 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 the craziest piece of meat you've ever used for bait? Uh, chicken gizzard. <laughs> I did. 
chicken good. Huh. So they're getting all the chicken livers off of it. Yeah. Stock, and we just buy a pack of chicken gizzards and livers. Brim fishing, you can actually cut another brim up mm. and the white part of that meat they eat. Okay. Y'all smile! <laughs> I don't pick up a whole herd of people lost down there. Now, we're not fishing. We Hollywood. <laughs> well, Homer, thank you so much. Thanks for being I with us on the Traveling on Radio I Show. I enjoyed it. Thank you. But y'all call me anytime. If you're ever in Minden, you can spend a day fishing with Homer. After the break, we'll pay a visit to the Ford Museum in Homer, Louisiana, as we continue our trip through Louisiana North as the Traveling on Radio Show continues after this. Looking for the latest travel book, the hottest item in travel gear and clothing? Or are you researching a destination or looking into the most current travel regulations or warnings? If so, visit TravelinOn.com, your one-stop shop for travel resources. At TravelinOn.com, that's Travel-N-On.com, you can get the latest travel news and information and shop for all of your travel needs. TravelinOn.com is your premier source for all things travel. That's Travel-N-On.com. What if you didn't care about being on the fast track? Instead of flying to the big interview, what if you flew somewhere else altogether? Like a village in Botswana or a tiny island in the Pacific where needs are easy to see. What if you decided to share your skills with others and help someone else get ahead? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Now, more of the Traveling On Radio Show. Just east of Minden, Louisiana, is Claiborne Parish, named after Louisiana's first governor. The parish seat, Homer, not to be confused with Homer Humphreys, <laughs> is home to the Ford Memorial Museum, an interpretive center of history and culture of life in North Louisiana's hill country. Linda Valentine of the Ford Museum shares this treasure trove of history as we tour the museum with her. Now, tell us a little bit about the Ford Museum here in Homer. The Ford Museum is a historical museum, and it tells the history and culture of Claiborne Parish as well as uh, northwest Louisiana. These two exhibits pretty much tell the history of the Caddo Indians. Uh, We've got the spear points, uh, the arrowheads. The small points are the arrowheads. The larger points are the spear points. All of this was found in either Claiborne Parish or Webster Parish. So there are a lot of artifacts uh, in the area, although there were never villages in Claiborne Parish. The cattle use this for hunting lands. You'll notice uh, in the case pieces of beautiful pottery. Cattle Indians were well known for making beautiful pottery pieces. These are on loan to us from uh, SAU uh, in Magnolia. Uh, pottery making was a skill that was handed down from mother to daughter. And each piece that you'll see, they're just exquisitely made. Uh, For instance, these bottles over here. You could not get anything any prettier than this in uh, a pottery shop today. These were handmade, baked in a kill, by the Caddo Indians. Uh, Even this big pot that was utilitarian was decorated. Uh, It's got little bumps on the side. It's, It's been engraved. So they 
took pride in their uh, creations. The mural on the wall is pretty typical of what a cattle village looked like. They lived in the thatch huts. They lived by water. They were farmers. And if you'll notice, they didn't farm in the way that we farm. They had mounds uh, in which they grew corn. And then at the bottom, they would plant string beans that would wrap around the corn stalk. And then at the base, they would plant squash, uh, pumpkins, gourds, that kind of thing. Uh, they were farmers, they were gatherers, and they were hunters and fishers. You see the lady here making the pottery, and then there's some uh, more ladies over here working. And then you see right here the kind of arbor. The dugout canoe was found in the banks of the Sabine River. Uh, it was uh, carved out of cypress, a cypress tree. And the way they did it, they only had stone and fire. So they would set fire to the base of it, and then they would use sharp stones as scrapers to cut it down. Then they would take all the bark, all the uh, limbs off, and do the same thing. They would use fire, and they'd scrape and burn as uh, the fire burned it. The Caddo Indians lived in this area until 1935, when they sold the last bit of their land to the U.S. government. Uh, most Caddo Indians today live in Oklahoma, but there are are some, the Caddo Adai, who live around the Robilene area. Uh, this, these are pictures by Mr. Claude McCrocklin, the ones here and the ones in the case over there. And Mr. McCrocklin is a friend of the Caddo tribe, and he will go to their powwows, and he will sit around and listen to the stories that these Native Americans tell, and then he will paint what he's heard. So everything here on the wall and in the case over there, these are real things that he's heard them talk about. The buffalo hunting, uh, ceremonial dance, different activities that they were doing. And one of the things that you'll notice in each of these pictures, you'll notice that each of the Indian women have on a black garb. In the oldest records that we have by the European settlers, it tells about the special way that the Native American women tanned their leather for their uh, their dress. It would be fringed, and then they would uh, uh, put white beads or berries on the side of it to decorate it. And it was a special way that they had for tanning uh, the leather. But as I said, they sold their land in 1835. They sold about um, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. These were the chiefs that were still around. Uh, they had to sign it by make, making an X because they couldn't write. And um, so they left, and then the settlers began coming in. Actually, the settlers began coming in before 1835, and that was the reason why they had to leave. Oil was discovered in Homer in 1919, in Hainesville in 1921, and in Lisbon in 1936. These are the discovery wells of the three towns. Uh, the 1920s was the time when Claiborne Parish had the most money and the most people. It has been reported when Hainesville drilled their oil well in 1921 that their population went from 1,000 to as high as 20,000 almost overnight. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened in Homer and Lisbon. So there wasn't enough housing, so people were forced to live in tents until the oil companies could build uh, permanent housing. But uh, it was not at all unusual for the tent cities to pop up all around. Uh, 
living in those days would have been difficult, as you can see from the lady here, doing the dishes, doing the cooking, doing the washing, everything's outside. Um, notice it says mules and mud. Some of the roughnecks vow that it rained 40 days and 40 nights during 1920. And that's why the roads look like this, because of the heavy amount of rain. It's kind of like today. You know, it's, you know in between the large amount of rain. We were on that road earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the um, heavy equipment that was going back and forth, back and forth, it just couldn't take the, the wear and tear. Uh, even the main streets became muddy. This is a downtown uh, Hainesville picture in 1921. Uh, again, the mud uh, from the heavy traffic use and, and the large amounts of rain. This is the Hainesville oil field, and if you look closely, you see derricks all over. You can just count derricks. And the same is true. This is the Homer oil field, and you, you see there's probably 30 derricks 30 oil wells in, in this picture, and, and maybe more than that in this. At one time, there were over 700 producing oil wells in Claiborne Parish. And this is a map. This You can see Hainesville really well on this. Every dot is an oil well. Hmm. And then down here is Homer, and then down the bottom is, is Lisbon. But that shows you how prolific oil was uh, during the 1920s. The Gasoline tank has really taken a change. Um, this actually was a kerosene pump. Uh, they were using kerosene in their early vehicles until they figured that this off product of oil would operate these cars better than the kerosene. So they just took the kerosene pump and made it into a gasoline pump. The exhibit there shows pretty much what the Homer, Hainesville, and Lisbon oil field look like. As you see, derrick after derrick after derrick, wooden derricks, a lot of times sawmills would be in the oil fields because they used wood to make the derricks at the very beginning. You see the tent cities back there. And um, this gentleman here has uh, spent a hard day uh, in the oil field. Uh, Roughnecks made $3.75 a day. Uh, at the beginning. Prince Albert and Yes. Well, back in the 20s, he, he, um, probably it was pretty good pay. Mm-hmm. During the Depression, North Louisiana did not suffer quite as badly as some of the other areas because of the oil field. Mm-hmm. Oil production declined further into the 20s, but it was still better here than it was in some of the other cities that didn't have anything to go uh, to pull their economy up. Uh, maybe a little ironic now because it's natural gas. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, is the oil basically then all pulled out, but they're focusing on the gas these days? What they, they're still, they're still, I know of one oil company, uh, Hyperion Oil, and the way they're drilling for oil now is the injection. They're injecting the salt water and pulling out. So they are, there mm-hmm. are still some oil, there's some it's oil left. Oh yes, definitely. And the oil wells in Homer and Hainesville were from between two to 3,000 feet deep. Just 10 years later when they went to Lisbon, they were going to eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet. And even today they're going much, much yeah. deeper than that. Um, 
And, of course, we've got several pipelines coming across Claiborne Parish out right now at this time. So there's, there's still a little bit going on. Not, not near as much as uh, we would like. Uh, we would really like to get a little bit more of that Hansel shell, but I think it's staying further away. These dolls, they're called Rosa uh, character dolls. Uh, they've, they've got several names to them, and these were made by Rosa Wilder Blackman. She started making them in 1941. And you notice that all but one set are black. That's because most of her dolls were uh, out of people that she knew. Now, Rosa was a white lady, but she sculpted her dolls out of uh, people that she knew, uh, that uh, black people that she knew. Here's one, uh, Reverend Roy Mayfield. You know, I showed you him upstairs. This is, there's Reverend Roy Mayfield. This is the presiding elder. And Roy Mayfield has a, a pulpit, a prayer cloth, and a Bible with him. Um, Uncle Zeke was uh, someone that she knew, and it was considered to be an honor to be the subject of one of her dolls. She sold these dolls for about $3.50, and this is the, probably the one most requested uh, piece of information I get because she put little stories on the bottom of each of her dolls, and these were just copied off these dolls, and it says, this is Rose's character doll, Box 695, Homer, Louisiana. So people will go on the Internet, look up Ford Museum, look up Homer, find Ford Museum, and I get either letters or calls about these dolls. Um, we just recently acquired nine of these dolls. They were valued by uh, an appraiser in LSU. Each one was worth $1,000. Condition doesn't matter. This one here, Rosita, is $1,500 because I've never seen Rosita before. This is the only time I've ever seen a Rosita doll. And um, she was the voodoo queen. But most of the, this one is a really nice, neat one right here, this one right here. This one is uh, Mariah. And it, you can't really see it well, but she's got a, an iron, one of those sad irons. Mm-hmm. And she's got her hand to her mouth because she's facing to touch it to see if it's hot. Now, Linda, mm-hmm. you mentioned that some of these dolls are found in the um, uh, Smithsonian in D.C., too, right? Yes, uh-huh. There, there are several of them in the Smithsonian. So as far as the total, we're not, we, ha- we don't have a clue. There's never been anything reported uh, about that. But uh, there was a lady, uh, one of her descendants, who had about 22 of them, 23 of them, at the um, Antique Roadshow, and she got... Uh, about her, her collection was valued at $35,000 uh-huh. for these little dolls. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show. We look forward to connecting with you during the week on Facebook, Twitter, through our newsletter and weekly deals. And uh, we look forward to uh, just chatting with you uh, throughout the week on any of those platforms, which you can find on our website at traveln radio.com that's travel the letter n is in nancy radio.com it's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you we're tanya innie and fitzpatrick and we'll see you on the air again next week same time same frequency and until then keep traveling on 